You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am Kenneth. And tonight we're going to be starting a new show here on Fusion Patrol. We're going to be looking at the 1995 Fox TV program, Space Above and Beyond. And we're going to be starting with the two-part, two-hour, depends on how you want to look at it, a pilot episode. We're going to be calling this episode one which is cleverly titled Pilot. Episode Synopsis. In the middle decades of the 21st century, mankind has established its first extrasolar colony called Vesta around Epsilon Arandi, a star 10.5 light years from Earth. Having set foot on an alien world, mankind in all his hubris can safely declare that there is no life out in space. This no doubt comes as a bit of surprise to the aliens who wiped them out. Back on Earth, unaware yet that their colony has been lost, Telus is preparing to launch a second colony ship to Vesta. On board, two lovers, Nathan and Kylan, are preparing to spend the rest of their lives together in the stars. With less than a day until launch, there's a snag. The subject of in vitros, humans grown in tanks, has become a hot political topic. Often referred to by the derogatory term tanks, in vitros are second-class citizens and discriminated against, and not everyone is on board with the idea that they're even fully human. Nathan and Kylan, being good and decent people, of course, think in vitros deserve full human rights. However, when the government demands that a certain percentage of the colony be in vitros, and either Nathan or Kylan, but not both, will have to stay behind on Earth, Nathan gets a little less kindly disposed towards them. Nathan was the kind of kid who thought he could hide under the coffee table in the living room and no one could see him. So Kylan goes on the mission and Nathan tries stowing away. His excess CO2 emissions are immediately noticed and he is forcibly ejected from the craft before launch. Elsewhere, Cooper Hawk, an in vitro, is about to be lynched. He overpowers his captors and pursues the ringleader with murderous intent. He is arrested by the police. With no other way to get into space, Nathan West joins the Marines. He's there with a motley crew that includes Cooper Hawk, who is not there voluntarily, and Shane Vanson, a woman trying to get away from responsibility after her parents were killed in the AI war and she had to raise her sisters. There are others too. It remains to be seen if any of them are important. Oh, you know the story, Marine Corps recruits, shouty, shouty drill sergeants, the abuse, the failures, the team building, the hotshot other Marines who are too big for their boots. Just take all that as red. Still unaware of the fate of the Vesta colony, Kylan's ship arrives and is immediately destroyed by the aliens. Of course, you realize this means war, which we have been reliably told is what Marines pray for. The recruits are sent to Mars to repair a tracking drone. It's a BS job supporting critical infrastructure instead of being out there and getting killed. To make matters more interesting, they get sent without leadership or command structure of any kind. This is, of course, a clever ruse by the Corps to find out which one of them comes back holding the conch. Nonetheless, during their mission, an alien crashes on Mars near them, 
and they investigate. Team member Pags gets killed, which turns out he was kind of important because he was the only person who treated Hawk like a real person. Hawk is upset by this. Eventually, the team captures the alien, and in an act of kindness, they shove a bottle into an unknown available orifice to give him water, killing him almost instantly. It's the first time humans have gotten their hands on an alien and a ship, so they leave the body behind on Mars because... They're Marines and they're not paid to think? Let's call them jarheads from this point forward, shall we? Back on Earth after Pag's funeral, our trainees get their wings, but instead of immediately being shipped off to go get killed, they're forced to take 48 hours leave. They are disappointed jarheads. During leave, the Marine Corps' hottest squadron, the Angry Angels, gets their butts handed to them on a plate and are effectively wiped out. It's time for the plucky, newly promoted recruits, now the 58th Squadron, to enter the fray. Now that the recruits are full-fledged jarheads, they can be let in on the top-secret intel. Earth is losing this war in a first-class fashion. The aliens will attack Earth pretty soon. However, the Big Brain Boys have decoded the attack plans found on the wrecked ship on Mars and are laying a trap for the aliens. The 58th, an unseasoned squadron, will be somewhere in the back. Waiting in the asteroid belt, it becomes obvious that the aliens know about the trap and Earth must scramble to deal with a different strategy. Hawks, still trying to honor Pag's memory, launches out to get the attention of the alien fleet. It succeeds, and the battle begins. The 58th are outnumbered, but they comport themselves well. But it is just a matter of time till their inevitable defeat. Just when backup forces suddenly arrive, save the day, and rout the aliens. Back on Earth, they get their medals, a graduation ceremony, and a new commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel T.C. McQueen, formerly of the Angry Angels. He welcomes his new team with these encouraging words. If you ever pull anything like what you did out there under my command, the only medal you'll be wearing is cuffs in the brig. Which is kind of funny because metal and metal aren't the same words. Although metals are often made of metal, which may have led to his confusion. The end. Okay, uh, space above and beyond. Uh, I am going to uh, come clean and say that I never, never watched this show. Uh, was not the slightest bit interested in watching this show. Uh, when it came out in 1995, I had been grossly, grossly disappointed by the failure of Space Rangers in 1993. And I, I just didn't have room in my heart for another uh, military in space program. Um, this is uh, uh, produced and created by uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Yeah. Yes. James Wong who had been working on the X-Files in the first year and would later come back and work more on the X-Files after after this didn't go as well as they wanted it to. So they were they were kind of considered um, golden boys at Fox. So that's why they got this show. And uh, we're we're looking at it pretty cold. So um, I am too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, how are you uh, background wise on this show? I remember that it was on. Yeah, that's that's what I remember. But I was I was busy watching Babylon Five and Star Trek Voyager instead. See, it's a funny thing because about it's somewhere in that time frame, and I'm not exactly sure where. But when I was a kid, and I was unfortunately cannot claim to have been a kid in 1995, but when I was a kid, there was no amount of science fiction 
on TV that was too much for me to watch, right? I mean, if, if it was on, I would make time to, I would find a way to watch it or I would tape it or something. But come about the time when we had all the Star Trek and, and uh, Babylon 5 and Let's Go Friday the 13th and War of the Worlds and uh, a lot of those shows, it, it did reach the point where I was kind of like, eh, you know, a lot of them were kind of a chore to watch, but I feel like I'm obligated to do so because I always watch all science fiction shows. And, and, and I kind of, you know, space above and beyond is, is kind of the start of me going, yeah, I don't need to watch everything. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if anyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows the military and I do not see eye to eye. I'm, I'm just not a military fiction guy. I'm getting you know, it. I mean, I have yeah. a T-shirt that says, who, "Who that says who would Jesus bomb?" Yeah, and exactly. I mean, I, I'm sure that we will get into this during the course of this. My my conflicting position on military and motives, and and you know, can you can you have somebody who has the best of intentions, but they are involved in something which is intrinsically immoral? And and them not be immoral. I mean, it's like I mean, it's a good question. It, it it's a it's a darn good question. And we have um, you know, we had a, a surplus of stuff in the in the wake of the Gulf War in '91. There seemed to be a renaissance of hey, isn't the military cool on TV? And and my immediate response is no. It's it's just it's just got a better PR team right now than it did in the 70s, you know, post-Vietnam. Well, that uh, was true. But what did you think of the, of the episode, the, the long? It was very long. Uh, I found it uh, confusing. Um, in fact, I had to watch it twice in two consecutive days in preparation for this podcast session. Um, the first time I watched it, well, before, I had, before, before the first time I watched it, I had already gone to IMDb and actually written out longhand all the cast all the cast members and the characters they played because I wanted to try to learn the, learn this the best way to learn something is to write it longhand <laughs> yeah and so I it's a lot of writing it's right and so it is and and so I had as I was watching it the first time I paused periodically and figured okay which character is this um, um and I didn't know which characters to follow and then the second, and then the next day I came back, which was today, I came back and I watched it again, but then I knew which characters to follow. And even then I found that some of the plot points were not entirely clear to me. <laughs> All right. That's fair. I, I, you know, I, I was watching it thinking, I'm pretty sure this Nathan West guy is the villain. Yeah. He was foolish at the, at the beginning. Yes, he was. Um, I, You know, the funny thing is, now, I'll make, like I say, I felt like it was long. I don't typically like military shows. And, but by the end of it, by the time they got out and they're doing the space fighting, which is honestly not, you know, I, I'm, I enjoy a good space battle at the end of Star Wars. No. And, or, you know, you can, boy, can you smell the Empire Strikes Back uh, with the asteroids and the spaceships again. But I actually thought they did a pretty good job by the time they reached combat. Oh, yes. That, that watching that, and I'm like, actually, I'm enjoying this space battle, and that's not 
a guaranteed. I don't just watch space battles and go, ooh, I, I, I watched it and I was like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of enjoying this. I'm hoping West gets fragged, but, right. um, but uh, no such luck there. But, no. uh, yeah. And at the end, he threw, he threw the medal away. Idiot. I like, like you know, he's this. He's, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that he's supposed to wear that for dress and formal, certain formal occasions. Yes. Right? I think right. that's the case. I, I won't swear to that because that certain decorations you put on your uniform and those go in your dress uniform. I don't know about a big honking medal like the Star Wars medal he's got banging around his neck there. But it, yeah, it's like, why did you throw that away? I don't even understand. But to your point about it being confusing, yes, there was just there was just too much going on. Uh, the the flashback sequence with Ch- uh, Shane's childhood, like some of it, a lot of it, I don't know. It, it just there, it was a there, waste of time and, there and it there was, confused things. Yeah, there was um, a lot of info dumping. Um, all these like references to, for example, the AI war. That is the most interesting thing about this show, and that's yeah, kind of no, funny. It's something that the, didn't happen. I it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can assume that we're going to get more of it, because I, I get the implication from what I saw that there is something about the in vitros were bred to fight the AI war. And they didn't. I, and they didn't. And I think that... Therefore, I think the AI war will be more important as we go forward. But I genuinely do not know. Uh, it, we never hear it again. But it's kind of hard to believe that that we didn't get to see what the AIs looked like, and they killed Shane's parents, and we aren't going to get follow up on that. I mean, they they went to the trouble of showing us that trauma. I, I can't help thinking well, that we that's an unresolved some, issue. Yeah, I do have some circumstantial evidence that we may get some more information some more on the background of characters um, and perhaps the yeah. AI war. Because when I was checking on the cast list, I um, looked up, um, let me find the name here, Amanda Duge, D-O-U-G-E, everyone says that, who played Kylan, who is the blonde girlfriend yeah. of Nathan. Right. And apparently she's in three episodes. Oh, No. I was hoping she was blown to pieces. But oh, well. uh, the the others have to be other part other parts have to be flashbacks. Of course, she could be a flashback too. Actually, yes. come to think of it, she could be flashbacks too. So that 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 that's not necessarily indicate one way or the other. But all right, um, let's see. Another thing that I liked, it didn't quite look as good as I would want it to, but I think it was a very effective money-saving technique was the way the ships docked in the carrier. So they yeah. only have to bring the simulator pod. I saw that in the pod. Up at the, the top. Pod. Well, that's very convenient that you don't have to build the deck for launching the, the ships and all the mock-ups of the ships and everything. You just, you just use the, which were the same things they used for the simulator. So they were reusing them. And it's like, okay, that's, that's a good, that's a good television technique. And I, I appreciate that. Unless they detach from the ships, though, it felt like they were too far up. It was, I got the impression that, that the, that the uh, pods with the pilots detached from the ships. It's possible. It's the possible. Ships were, they the, ships, the ships were on, were on the deck below. 
Yeah, but they could have been on the deck below and the whole ship was lifted up. Yeah. And then they're just the, the, the port pops out the top. Could have been. Or they're you know, the I don't know, the, the pod itself detaches and they lift that up a little bit further so that they can get out. I'm not sure. It it looked a little awkward if it's not the ladder. But uh Yeah, I have sorts of little questions here. And then uh, you you raised one. Which was why didn't they bring the alien body back? They brought the ship. Oh, they're back. dumb as they, posts. They could have put <laughs> the body in the ship and taken it. Yeah, they couldn't bring the ship. I get that, but they 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 could put the. I cannot believe that the next scene there's like the alien body lying on Mars, and I'm thinking, how stupid are you people? Yeah, are you going to bring Pags back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surely, surely Earth Command is going to go, wait, you've got a ship and an alien? We're going to have a bunch of people there right now. Wait for us. Or something. But it was just so, okay, all right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, one. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, that that's, I got okay. all sorts of things I could talk about. So go I ahead. Do, I would say about haircuts. Okay. Well, it's the 90s. It, well, it's, uh, I think. 2063 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think yes, that's the year. Yes, 2063. But the, uh, the there's a but the Marine, the U.S. Marine Corps is the main organization in this story, and mm-hmm. I have seen members of the U.S. Marine Corps, and um, they didn't have curls the last time I checked. <laughs> I, I think they they must have released uh, lower the entry requirements uh, to uh, to keep recruiting people in the. Okay, let's talk about the Marine Corps. Yes. I don't mean the real Marine Corps. I mean the Marine Corps in this show. All right. First off, well, let's take a, a step back one more. The guy who is the governor of the colony gets out there on Vesta and he says, well, we've got to our first planet and there is no life in the universe. It's like, okay, make put him in the Marines because he's right up to speed with the rest of them here. But... That that that's such an incredibly stupid statement. It was it was difficult to believe, but okay, we've we've gone to another planet. It, it involves fortuitous openings of wormholes, which I'm sure there's that's just hand wavium. And I don't know where I was going with that, except for a that was annoying. But so then West wants to join the Marines. He doesn't want to join the Marines. He joins the Marines. If I'm not mistaken. What we saw looked like about three weeks, but it had to have been longer. Um, and I in, tried in dialogue. But, there was a reference to six weeks. That's what I thought. I thought there was a reference to weeks, and I'm like, "All right." I, I went and checked because, again, me and military, I don't care. So anything that I say about the military is based on, I don't care. I don't want to know. I've never cared. So my research is not the most thorough, but I did a little. If you want to be a pilot in the Marine Corps, or any branch of the service for that matter, if I'm reading this correctly, because I got a little bit of conflicting reports and it could be based on time, you have got to, A, have a degree already. They don't don't start with, you got to start with a degree. It could be from a Naval Academy. It could be from a ROTC program. It could be from just you know, a, a, a real university somewhere. So you got to have a degree. Then you go to the recruiters and you say, I want to sign up and I want to sign up to be a commissioned officer. So you have to 
uh, join the military, you've got to go through basic training, which is at least six months, sounds like. Then you've got to go to officer candidate school, which is months. And and then you've got to go to, and assuming you get through that, then you've got to go through flight school. And I think it's put at several years to accomplish this task because you have to be a lieutenant before they're going to make you a pilot or a second lieutenant. And we saw them go in as what appear to be raw recruits. And six weeks later, they got lieutenant in front of their name. I noticed that. That's idiotic. That was fast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're desperate, but we're desperate for these people. But actually, they don't know that they're desperate for these people because by this point, nobody knows that Vesta has been destroyed. And there is no one for them to fight. They literally say that in the show. Yes. Like, oh, well, it's not like we're fighting anybody or we have any enemies, so we've got a space force to battle against nothing at all. It just doesn't make any sense. I know we're going to keep having military because that's us, but I'm not sure I understand the need for this Marine Corps, the haste with which they push these people through. If it had come after we knew we were at war with the aliens, then that's a little bit different, but it doesn't. Yeah. It comes before we know that. It does. And so, ah, uh, yeah, like, during wartime, promotions are do become more rapid. I mean, during the U.S. Civil War, there were t- some generals who were 25 years old. Yeah. You, you, and, you know, in, in, a, in a wartime, like in the, uh, during a draft, people who are degreed and have useful skills get commissions straight in because right. they're being drafted. You, you don't make a doctor a private medical doctor. You run them in and <clears throat> get them doing what they've been trained to do. So... But that's in wartime. This was pre-war. So that's all. I don't know. I, I don't quite understand the setup of the show. And the, the other piece about it, I gloss over it in the narrative. And, and perhaps someone out there can do it. Because I, I will tell you that I, I did look up one guy, uh, R. Lee Ermy. Yep. Who was not in the Army. He was in the Marines uh, for many years. <clears throat> and... He is the most idiotically stereotypical, I thought we were watching a parody, drill sergeant, <laughs> I have ever seen. Uh, a Sergeant Carter in Gomer Pyle was more convincing than this guy. That's true. And I've seen R. Lee Ermey be convincing. I saw Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. And, and I mean, he knows what he's doing. And I don't know. I mean, I... I genuinely don't know. Maybe somebody who has gone through the Marine Corps basic training can tell me whether or not that's complete and absolute BS. Because this is what this is what the stereotype on TV is, and and there's bound to be some reality to it. They're not there to be nice to you, but wow, he was such a cliche that it it was painful. <laughs> this going into military fighting is what we pray for it's like really i mean okay All i right. thought that yeah i thought that they got them killed so they weren't praying for it but anyway i did see exactly. full metal i did see full metal jacket some years ago and i don't know if you if you if you recall that movie i recall it i've not seen it because it but, falls under it's a military the, film the, the, and the it first, hasn't got space in it the first half of the movie 
is boot camp. And uh-huh. uh, the second half of the movie is the Tet Offensive. Okay. And the but that's... first the, the first half of the movie is absolutely harrowing. Oh, the, the boot camp? It's, it's, yes, it's R. Lee Ermey shouting <laughs> at, at, at recruits for an hour until finally one goes crazy and kills him. Okay, fair enough. I fair just gave enough. spoilers to a movie that came out in 1987. Nobody throw tomatoes at me. <laughs> Rotten or otherwise, yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, I don't know. My dad was in the Navy, and he he went into the Navy in peacetime pre-Korean War, so um, in the early 50s. And he uh, he did say that boot camp was hell, and their sergeant was a Marine, because Marines... Let's just say my dad never had a nice thing to say about a Marine. Okay. Um, but uh, but I believe that's a Navy thing, so... Mm-hmm. But I never really got from him whether or not it's like this... This this stereotype, is this really anything? Or is it just now, since this stereotype came out in movies, that all the sergeants in basic training now do that because it's expected of them? I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was, it's like, I, I, I could use less of this. I could use less of this and get on. We know they're going to make it through. We know there's going to be somebody killed that's going to make at least one member of the team be all like, I've got to fight for in this case, Pags. Yes. And it's incredibly cliched. I think that's probably the the biggest thing about this. I'm watching this, I'm going, is this a parody? Is this Verhoeven Starship Troopers? It's pre-Starship Troopers. Is it? Yes. Really? Well, see, I mean, Verhoeven Starship Troopers is one of those films where a lot of people watch it and go, oh, this is a glorifying military, and other people watch it and go, no, this is, he's absolutely skewering the military up and down. And uh, I was watching this thinking that this is, this has got to be a parody. But after I got to the end of it, I don't think it is. No, it's like, I remember, I remember watching it thinking, um, is there time compression going on here? Because I could have sworn that there's, um, well, there's the points you made. Plus I also, which 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 I which I affirm, and I thought, well, and wait a minute, shouldn't they be in either South Carolina or or San Diego instead? But I think no. flight school for the Marines is in Florida, actually. Okay. But they're in, was oh, it Georgia? Speaking, oh, oh, well, I don't know, but but speaking, I mean, but but for boot camp, you know, but go oh yeah, the, for boot camp, yeah, yeah, but, but Paris Island, or I think the other one's San Diego. There is one uh, in San Diego. That's yes, idea. but the. But I said, speaking of Florida, I froze the frame on that flag. Which flag? <laughs> the I one that has it. the one that has the Earth and the three stars to one side. Oh, okay, okay, that one. All right. There's no Florida. There's no Florida. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> a few I more I hurricanes, I, and there I will be no more Florida. I, and if I swear, there's no Louisiana. Um, if you look at it closely. Okay, that's kind of that's actually kind of amusing. Now, do you do you think that Florida is missing because it's underwater or because yes. it's seceded it's a, from the U.S.? I think I think it's missing for the same reason that Louisiana is because I think it's underwater. Okay, okay, I'll I'll take a look at that flag next time. 
it comes up on the screen. I didn't fact, see that. I even just be sure I just be sure I could get a good, better picture. I did a Google search on Google Images, looked at uh-huh. it, and like, there's no Florida, there's no Louisiana. <laughs> uh, it could be commentary. That could just uh, be commentary. However, there is uh, however there is Alabama. Yeah. Is oh, that's where they were. They were in Alabama, weren't they? That's right. And there is Texas. And there reminds me, speaking of Texas, I did run some name checks. The um, It's the Francis R. Scobie Colonial Launch Center at Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay. Francis Scobie. Uh, well, that name was familiar to me. Uh, and then I double-checked, and here's is why. He was the commander of the last mission of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Okay. Um, and when was that? 1986. The last mission of the Challenger. Okay. So they would have known known he was done. I I remember the Challenger blowing up. I just didn't couldn't tell you what year it was. Okay. That's a nice uh, that's a nice touch. Um, And you know we're one thing that appears to be uh, appears to be is that the Marines of the United States Marines not the United Earth or not the United Nations Marines. Exactly. But notice. that was the Secretary General of the United Nations declaring yeah. war. I did notice war. that too. Mm. And I, I, I've wondered, and the uh, drill sergeant who, whom Lee, who R. Lee Ermey played was uh, Major Bogus. Mr. Bogus. Sergeant Major Bogus, yes. B O U G U S. He said that the U.S. had no enemies, which. Well, so I guess then all the nations yeah. united against the AI threat were something, which is convenient. Yeah. Uh, certainly, it's convenient now, now that they're at war with aliens, so they don't, don't they don't have to fight a war on Earth too. Well, not yet, anyway. Sounds right. like the way things are going, they're going to be fighting it on Earth pretty soon. Right. Yes. Yeah. The show is a bit again. The episode it, two hours is a bit disjointed, and I can see how it was totally like following. Following it was a little bit of a chore. I'm hoping that when we tuck it down. So my notes are illogical. So um, they are also disjointed. I was going to say, how about that Mars, huh? Yeah. Well, it was so, red at least. It was red. And uh, and I swear they got out and they're wandering around and somebody mentions the sparse vegetation. And I'm uh, like, am I missing Something. Am I missing seeing any sparse vegetation? vegetation? And then yeah. they, and then he talks about, oh, well, they've only just started the terraforming. Well, okay, sure. They started terraforming. Everyone there would know that, right? Everyone on Earth would know that they had started terraforming Mars. Yes. that That's a line that was only there for the audience. And I'm guessing it's because they just couldn't find a spot that had no vegetation and they thought, some jerk in the audience is going to see a little weed somewhere in the background of a shot, and they're okay. going to be writing into Fox going, <laughs> so they did that. And I really feel disappointed that I didn't spot any vegetation so that I could complain about it. I didn't see it either. Because I would be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I go. <laughs> and yeah. proud of it, too. Thank you for sure. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I do like the details. Like um, I froze, like like I I, I froze the frame on the flag. I was on the um, flag with the Earth and the stars. 
I also froze the uh, frame on the U.S. flag patches on the shoulders. Okay. And counted the stars. Oh, I thought about that. There was a scene where they went over the flag. Maybe it was when the Pags' funeral. And I thought, should I be counting? Ah, nah. Why bother? So how many? It's 50. 50. Okay. So no expansionists. We haven't uh, we haven't taken over Great Britain due to no. uh, economic collapse and bailing them out kind of thing yet. I was kind of counting on that one. All right. Well, that's, that's, see, why would it be? There's no Florida. And there's probably no, no Louisiana. Unless, of there course, the flag, unless, of course, that Earth flag is some stylized design, but that makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if you add, maybe you add DC and put in, and put in Puerto Rico. I don't know. That's right. We add, add those back in, assuming Puerto Rico is still there. Florida's gone. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, I think Puerto Rico's higher altitudes than Florida in places. Florida is low. Florida's got nothing, but Puerto Rico at least has some hills. Right. So, yeah, it could be. Uh, let, let's um, talk a little bit about the idiotic training regimen. Um, we get the usual basic training, the grabbing yeah. people's butts, the going to a bar and getting in a bar fight and the uh, all that. The simulators, yeah. The the guy who's like, oh, this is not real. I want to go out the real play. Teach me in a real dog fight. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, that, that is, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's like, no, the one that gets me is they sent them to Mars with nobody in charge. It's stupid. It's incredibly stupid. I mean, it's obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out who the natural leader is in there. But if that... If that drill sergeant hasn't figured out who the natural leader of that group is by the time they sent them, he's not doing his job very well. No. Uh, I just, I I couldn't credit that one. I, I realized, like, that is just like Lord of the Flies. Just go. Put them out there and until uh, till they break Piggy's glasses, or in this case, Pag's. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Good reference there. <laughs> so... All, all of that stuff just does not make me think that the Marine Corps is particularly bright, which, you know, and... No, certainly not the version in 2063. Okay, now I'm, I am going to say this for the sake of people out there, uh, even though my disparaging remarks about the Marine Corps, to get into pilot training, you do have to actually have some brains. I mean, it's not just because you have to have a degree. You've still also got to test high up to get there so typically the people who are the pilots are actually the brains of the the organization or at least at that level so you know these people shouldn't be complete morons no but they are west nathan how how would you think that you could stow away on a spacecraft he's supposed to know about that spacecraft he's been training to be on it he's an expert he's, he's supposed to know that there's somebody in the control room who can track weight and co2 output she went but yeah I mean, really okay there you go you can yeah. it really did remind me when i was a kid i used to we used to have this uh, it wasn't a coffee table as i brought my thing because it would be too much difficulty to explain it in the synopsis we had this china cabinet and it was, uh, I don't know, four or five feet wide and about a foot deep and oh, six, eight feet high. And it's set up on four legs uh-huh. that were, you know, about eight to 12 inches in height. 
and it was in our uh, our dining room in plain sight of the living room when you were watching TV. And I used to crawl under there thinking I could hide. Even though I could make eye contact with my dad sitting in his TV chair, I'm like, no one's going to look for me under here because this is not a place you would expect to see a person. But I was a dumb kid. I was not an expert on doing something about setting up a colony on no. another planet. It's like, okay, that that's not going to work. And another thing that's not going to work, I don't care how political the situation is. They are not going to break those two up. They wouldn't do it. No. They would not do it. I mean, they know that they're a couple going into space for a colony. What do you need on colonies? Babies. Right. And children, yes. Uh, well, so there would be people, the higher-ups would tell someone else, you're not. You've got to do somebody else. Yeah, you would not split up that couple. I, I just don't, I don't buy it for a second. So, I mean, that's incredibly contrived. And, and okay, so the, the, whatever he was, project manager of the team or whatever. He says, well, you know, one of you, whichever one stays behind, you could uh, join the Marine oh. Corps and uh, get into space that way. I and I'm thinking... this here. Like, what? what? Yeah. What is the, he going to do? Yeah, I got it. Okay, I have it here. He was... Um, uh, this is interesting. IMDB list that character as a colonial governor. Jonathan Overmeyer. I thought that was the guy giving the speech at the beginning, saying that, that was there the, is uh, no that was, uh, the, that was the other colonial people. governor, Borman. Oh, so this was the governor of the next colony ship. Okay, yeah, All right, five. Which it, made me is... wonder. Which made me wonder which planet was Telus going to? Was that going to? Was Telus a separate colony? It went to Vesta. Because um, I wasn't sure. Because um, when I looked, when I, I, I did notice early on, there was a sign outside the. Um, base the launch site and um it mm -hmm. had the vesta patch it had the telus patch they were uh, next to all right each other. good good question uh the planet is the planet called vesta is the colony called vesta was I, this I, I colony think called telus i think it was the vet i think those are the names of the colonies it could be but it's on a planet orbiting uh epsilon or Andy. Yes, um, which the star, I did look this up, the star is 10 and a half light years away. 10.5, yep. And it's uh, considered a, a reasonable candidate for uh, uh, planetary investigation. But, uh, yes. you know, all right, fine, we've got wormholes. To go. Yes, but, uh, but so, speaking of wormholes, how, how do those things work? Because apparently they're not on all the time. They're not going to tell us. This is uh, It just happens to be a favorable wormhole position. It's like, I guess maybe by the year 2063, they've discovered how to predict wormholes. I don't know. Yeah, uh, no. Maybe we'll get more, but I mean, it, it, it really did feel like hand wavium. It's like, well, there's no way to go faster than light. We need wormholes. I know we can make wormholes that pop up. And if we need one, we can say, oh, we've got a favorable wormhole. And if we need not to get one, we can say, oh, we haven't got a wormhole available right now. And that way we can have our cake and eat it too. It either is too far away, or we can get there when we need to. It's perfect. I, I can I can see that in the writers' room. I I, I can see Wong and and uh, Morgan giving each other the high five on that one. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's like we got it. Um, but here's my question about West. So okay, he the the governor says, well, none of you can go join the Marine Corps and get into space that way. But he must know that they want to be together. Yes. So. 
if West joins the Marine Corps and writes some bad poetry, more on that later, um, <laughs> what's his plan? Is he planning to get into the Marine Corps, hope that someday he gets sent to Epsilon or Randy? Yeah. And then what's he going to do? Go AWOL? I wasn't sure. This episode didn't make it clear. Like, I don't know what... I mean, okay. Clearly, both of them, their dream is to go to space. So maybe it's just, hey, I can't go with her, but I still want to go to space. Maybe it's that. But I get the impression from the scene where they went back to his home... If you if you heard, there was a line of dialogue where the friend of his younger brother was the brother of Kylan. Yes. So they obviously grew up together. So this is not, uh, you know, this is this has been probably a joint dream their whole lives, or or you know, a significant portion of their lives together. You know, hey, he he, he wants to be in space because he wants to be in space with her. Indeed. And all right, fine. Um, if I had a chance to go start a colony, I, I might, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, that would be enough. It's like, all right, yeah, sure. But, uh, but I would not join the Marines. Well, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't need the abuse. No, you know. exactly. There's a lot here. I just didn't understand and maybe 22 more episodes will clear some of it up i know that <laughs> pilots drop little hints and then pay and then subsequent episodes pay off some of the hints and then sometimes we're still left scratching our heads at the end yeah it, it's a it's a it's a good question and, and i'll say this for it you know back to pilotitis as episodes as pilot episodes where we have that you have to set up the premise of the show and then we have to uh then we have to have a little mini adventure you could argue that they did do that because the mini adventure was the battle at the end and the setup was them going through military training but this was structured much more like a proper movie in as much as you're following through the you're truly following through the through line of their training and up to the point where you get your first mission which is a, a a very common military film trope yes like okay there you go uh sounds to me like maybe a full metal jacket fit that pattern it did so i i'm it didn't drag it didn't make me feel like i was watching a pilot it did make me feel like i was watching a bit of a movie that kind of had a eh, so-so ending it's like okay that's it okay you got a new sergeant and he's gonna Ain't gonna be tough on your butts from now oh, on. So there we go. Of, hey, I have a couple points here. I'll um, pick up with what you just said. I like that sergeant. I like the scene in the um, room where you look where you're sitting in front of the pilots and talking to them. And that thought that was oh the lieutenant colonel. Yeah. Yes. At the yeah. um, McQueen. McQueen. Yeah. And I thought that was a good performance. A good speech. He's an interesting character. He spends an awful lot of time with a lot of deep, meaningful look, looks with uh, a hawk. Um, I know they're supposed to be like, hey, we're the in vitros and band of brothers and whatnot. But there is. Well, the first thing you notice is that when the angry angels come in to the bar, 
they yeah. go off and they're all being rowdy at the table. He comes in and he sits at the bar and and I want to keep calling him Tank, but that's not right. Hawk comes goes over and sits down and the two look at each other and they just sort of, you know, wordlessly sort of look at each other and I'm going, so can they spot tanks a mile away? Is that what we're getting here? Is there some, oh, you and I are the only tanks in the room, so we got a thing going? And I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean, but just, you, you, it's like we, we've got, I mean, I could, let's translate that into a different context. Let's say that you're in a military bar and you've got a whole bunch of Alabama recruits, uh, and then you got a, a whole bunch of hot shot Alabama uh, uh, pilots coming in, and and the bar is all rowdy, and the two black people Little. there can see each other across the room and go, "Yeah, we're the odd men out here, right?" You, I right. can see that. I can see but that. These guys are all all equally white. So apart from looking at the back of their neck, How can do you they tell? have some sort of uh, some sort Sense. of a psychic uh, kind of thing? Possible. I don't know. I did notice though that there, 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 another knowing glance exchange at the end of the episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. Big big time. They they definitely like back and forth. The other thing I, I so let's talk about Tank Hawk. Hawks. It's, uh, it's, it's the, the fox. It's Hawks. Cooper actually. Hawks. Cooper Hawks. Yeah. Uh, I want to call him everything except Cooper Hawks, you know, tank, coop, um, you know, any of those things, but just the names in the show are so awful, but we come back to that. If you look through the IMDb and look at some of the names that they've got for the characters, it's like, wow. Okay. So there is the scene at the beginning where Kylan and and, uh, Nathan are being told, you know, you're going to be, we've got these in vitros and you're going to be kicked off the thing. And they have a little bit of discussion like, well, you're in favor of in vitro rights and and because they're good people, right? You can't yes. you can't have our heroes be in favor of prejudice. Exactly. Right. Because that's that's that would be bad. Uh, but then, you know, one of them gets screwed over. They both get screwed over by an affirmative action program. That's what this that's what is. That's absolutely what it is. They're screwed over by an affirmative action program. And Nathan seems to kind of go down the rabbit hole of people who feel that they have been unjustly deprived of something that they deserved. Yeah, you did sound because, like that. Yeah. And I mean, but here's the thing. He did deserve it. He did. He did. He earned this one. This is not one of those things like I couldn't get into the good school because you had to have a bunch of kids uh, that met this profile this is i worked i had this job i've got the contract i've done all this stuff i'm i trained nine hours before launching or whatever number of hours it was before the launch of this thing and now you're telling me oh we gotta we gotta substitute you for somebody who has no training and no place just like no 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 uh-uh i'm the he's got a he's got a gripe but it's not with the in vitros it you know it's with telus Yes, it um, is. Management. And, and and it's not the government, because the government said you got to put 10 on board the ship. The fact that the government picked one of them, I think the pick, they picked one of them because they just didn't want Nathan West, because he's too dumb for the team. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But then in which case, they would have said, no, we want 
Kylan, Kylan can and not not you. So, ciao. So, yeah. To I, I'm sure. This, but later in the episode, he did show her a, a brief sort of looking at Hawks and go, yeah, <laughs> like all right, yeah, whatever, fine. I guess I don't hate you. <laughs> yes, and I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that was what that look was. I kind of thought it was like, yeah, I've been a jerk to you, and gonna go die. Well, so. to be fair, uh, Hawks had been a jerk. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, and and that also plays along a lot of stereotypes with minority characters and thing. You know, that big chip I've been a abused and beaten on and and downtrodden and i'm gonna be a jerk i mean that's a total stereotype you see and there it is again so i'm sure they're gonna try to play with that i don't know whether that's what this show is about or whether that's just a, a supplementary theme that uh is gonna run through the run through the show I don't know, but based on the listing, based on the order of the listing of the cast, mm -hmm. I take it that we're dealing with that we have six main characters. Okay. And they're West. Yeah, Vance, I can name four. Yeah. Hawk, Damfus, Wang, and McQueen. Is it Damfus or Damp House? Well, in the episode, <laughs> the, P, the PH is F. Okay. Okay, I read that name and I go, Damp House, really? Okay. Another stupid name for this show. She guess I, she she pronounced it on the bus. Yeah, I gotta say, when they were on the bus, I was not keeping up with them their introductions. It was you watched it twice. I, I didn't watch it twice. If it had been an hour long episode, I'd have watched it twice, but it was a two hour long episode that was but, like, Yeah, I'm nah, I'm not gonna do that one again. And I'll have to go through the marine scenes again and that yeah, in the flat. I did know. Yes, I, I I did notice. Uh, speaking of Damf Damfus, the actress Lene Chapman, uh, who in 1991 and 1992 was Ensign Rager on four episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I can't, I can't peg her, but she did look vaguely familiar. Um, so I could see her as a background character in Star Trek, the next generation and just kind of not, um, yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. So let's, let's pick on her then. Yeah. I'm going to give him some water. Oh, that one. Wow. That was just like, they're, they're standing around arguing about giving the alien some water. And I'm like, you can't communicate with a water alien. He's in a space suit. And you're all like, I think he looks thirsty. <laughs> really? Is that is that what he looks? I thought he looked like something you can't see in a spacesuit that may be feeding him all the fluids that he needs and he's just hunky-dory fine. And really, yeah. so how are you going to feed him water? And then they pull up and you see, oh, he's got a hole in the side of his neck. And I'm thinking... That's a nostril that, that do, you, I can't believe you're about to pour water down his nostril. And the green slime. I can't believe. Out. Yeah. And I can't believe he doesn't like, I don't know, jump around and try to keep you from shoving water down his nostril. But okay. That. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is, that is some epic level. Okay. I'm going to be kind to you if it kills yeah. you. That did. 
Now think about and this. It, think about if he had, if that alien had lived. Now talk about intelligence breakthrough. Yeah, that could have been a lot more handy. That could have been a lot more handy. So here's the thing. Uh, again, I I really don't know anything about the show, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a a shot at something here. I don't know what this. I I don't know how it works, but. Also, speaking of stupid scenes, there's the scene where the the colonel or general or whatever he is is briefing the the 58th, and he's uh, he's saying, uh, you know, that ship we got, we got some computer intel from it, and our oh, our I big brain boys either. been working on this for however long it was, <laughs> whatever, and we've decoded this thing, and it's fantastic. Who goes? Well, that's just far too easy. I I think this is a trap. Maybe they wanted to do that, and hubris raises its ugly head and is like nah, no way this is a trap we are too smart for them <laughs> hubris is just not going away here and let me see yeah I am looking at the oh here it is it was a it was a it was lieutenant colonel and I'm not sure how you say this F-O-U-T-S Fouts Foots whatever Foots <laughs> probably Fouts yeah depending on how you pronounce the English and the actor was Colin Friels that. Still, the, the hubris there. Of course, I can't. Of course, this information ha- all has to be accurate, right? Right. It can't it be a trap, be. right? Can't be a trap, yeah. But but stupid old stupid old newly minted second lieutenant Hawks is like, whoa, this is a trap, dude. It's like nobody else, nobody else sitting around the intel room had. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, fine. Fine. Again, not they're not hiring them for their brains. In this version, no. But we didn't get to see what they were, uh, no. or much. The AIs in the AI no. war. AI is artificial intelligence. It is. We can we can infer from this that we created artificial intelligences, and then artificial intelligences said, "Hey, we should be running the world." That's I, what I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Sounds like. And somehow the AIs had physicality, uh, you know, maybe Terminator bodies, who knows, but which is why they needed the in vitros to help fight that war. And uh, what has happened to the AIs? What has happened to AI technology? Do do they still exist? Does it still exist? Uh, How are our supercomputers operating? Because our supercomputers, all the supercomputers, all them supercomputers was working on this problem. I mean, we're. It's like, are the AIs still a thing? Because it sounds to me like maybe you shouldn't be trusting your computers. Yeah, I wonder about that. By the way, the appearance goes the the, the clue to the appearance of the AIs came in a line of dialogue where uh one of the uh Marines in training said that the first time she had seen NA an AI she thought it was a person. Yeah, I, something like that. I, I assume that they're humanoid yeah. looking, just like the in vitros are which I'm not going to get into the argument as whether or not in vitros are humans. Of course they are. <laughs> like, yes. But, uh, okay. you know, because she then proceeds to say, just like the first time I saw in vitro. It's like, okay, well, he you took that and you. just drove that one into the ground way yeah. too. <laughs> so, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if the AIs are still a threat. And if the AIs are still a threat, can we trust this thing that they decoded from the, the is it is it brilliant planning on the the aliens parts uh or is it perhaps a, a third 
player in action here because I find it really hard to believe that they brought up the whole concept of the AIs as just yeah. a little fluff of backstory. Yeah, as a as a piece of backstory, I wonder about that one. I also wonder about the backstory of the corporation, uh, Aerotech. Aerotech. That's the one that was running Telus. Telus. Yeah, that's the one that's that, that's running the the the, the program of, of of founding colonies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, funny thing is, nobody had cell phones. It's no. like we. <laughs> It's interesting Here. because like, it, it's, we're talking about a show that debuted in in September 1995. There were cell phones of a sort in 1995. They were right. bigger than they are now, and even and and also, um, let's just go forward in our time a few years. Even before the end of the 90s, there was Earth Final Conflict. Um, oh, yeah, you see yeah another one? one I haven't seen. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> there was the first season was good, and they, they ran five years. And the first season was excellent, and everything else went downhill to rubbish in season five. Um, ah. But the but the point I'm making is that the one of the big props in Earth Final Conflict was a mobile communications device called a global. Yeah, yeah, and so and I remember watching the show in real t- in night. 1998 when it came out and thinking well that's really amazing but now my smartphone does more than the mobile did in that show yeah well yeah <laughs> i you know I, I just like to point out shows in the 1990s were kind of comically you know it's one thing when you watch the x-files right and you and you yeah. watch an episode and you go all you have to do scully is pull out your mobile phone oh wait you haven't got one yet right mm-hmm Find the payphone booth. <laughs> but yes. when you make a show in that same time frame and you're projecting forward, it's a big miss. I mean, it's a big, big miss that because they did have cell phones back then, they just completely missed the ubiquity of them. Uh, and this, everything looks pretty 1991. Right and and of course yeah. or 1995 and the funny thing the is vehicles, of course, oh yeah yeah the vehicles so we obviously have not uh, weaned our dependency on gas by then I, yeah but this is the sad part I mean this is 1995 right here we are in 2022 so almost I don't know let's say how many years <laughs> 41 years out from the from the beginning of from the beginning of the episode yeah we're 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 our darn near halfway there you know uh we're 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 getting pretty close uh, yes we're almost 30 years out from when the show came on and it's you know 40 some years till till the show premieres uh and it looks pretty much like the world in 1995 they are they are not they're not extrapolating much forward there i guess it 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 I believe that the military is probably still working 1995 tech uh, with everything except weapons, everything, but everything else. Yep. I still believe in 2063, it'll be 1995 tech except for the weapons because that's where they spend the money. But yeah. What do we have anything else? I have one minor point and because it comes out of my propensity for freezing the frames (laughs) right at the beginning of the episode. I froze the frame on the clock on the Vesta colony. Okay. It goes up to 15. 
goes up to 15. All right, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. You know, Mars is, uh, am I right? Is a Mars day 23 hours? Is a I'm Sol 23 hours? I, I'm I'm not sure of the length of a day on Mars. I know that when they're on, when people who, I know somebody who works NASA, and I know that they they work, particularly at the start of a mission, like a rover mission or whatnot, they yeah. work on a Martian cycle. Okay. So, you know, at, at whatever you want to call it, 7 a.m. Mars time, that's when their shift starts. And every day, and that moves here on Earth. So every day they're coming in a bit fraction of less of an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, which they say really plays havoc, but it's it's important when they're when the mission is starting out because the availability of solar uh, power yeah. and, and what just operations. So yeah, it would make sense that they would have a, I guess they would have a clock with different different time on it. So I according to the episode, assuming uh-huh. that someone had set his clock properly, um, the aliens attacked at two o two a.m. Do we think that was the same day they arrived and they set up? Well, this it kind of felt like it. The Vista Colony did not. Well, it looks as if they or at least had arrived fairly soon because they were still in their mobile makeshift containers. Yeah, well, I mean, you would think that's when the guy would make the speech. Yes. Well, we've arrived and uh, there's nobody out here, and we've we've now seen two planets in two solar systems plus all the barren rocks back on Earth and heck, there's no life out of here. But it, it did feel like the way it was shot that night the aliens came and destroyed them. Yes. It could have been months later. I don't know. But time well, frame, it, it just felt, felt like, like it was well, the same. Like, well, the governor was speaking late one night and then yeah. three hours of the but, next morning the aliens, the aliens attacked. Yeah. I think that is <clears throat> that's it. So I guess we should just make his mention of of West's, uh, let's call it a poem, his little letter that he wrote to to his girlfriend about the sun. Yeah, yeah. What a what an incredibly awful. I, I'm sure he thought it was beautifully romantically poetic, but you know, I, I'll wait until the universe comes to its heat depth so that I can stand with you and watch it die. I, that is that is not that is not my idea of a romantic way <sighs> to just you know there there's like uh, there's like uh, uh, Jim Croce's uh, uh, time in a bottle or on save all the time in the bottle and then just so that I could spend it all again with you see now that's kind of romantic but yeah. but uh, I'll wait till the end of the universe dies so I can stand there and we can watch it die together you're a sick person West Robbie grows up ah, and gets a haircut, you hippie, so you can be and, in the Marine Corps. Hey, well, we're going to talk about haircuts. How about Hogs's haircut? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that is that is. Uh, it looks completely out of place with those curls jutting out from under the the Marine hat. I, I was kind of reminded when I watched. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think we see a scene where the uh, the I think it's the Angry Angels are. Maybe it's not them, but it's it's military guys on the military base doing military things. And I'm watching them going, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of all the actors who play unit soldiers in Doctor Who in the Pertwee era. No one, no one is fooled 
you are not walking in formation. You are not, okay. you know, you are just, you just look like a rabble that doesn't know how to pretend to be in the military. It, it, it was bad. There were a couple of spots where the people were just walking along and he's like, wow, the director needs to work on these guys. He, he, he yeah. needs to work on them. Oh, speaking of that, the director, Nutter is his last name, David Nutter. And I looked him up, and he's directed the first two episodes of, or the first episode of a number of series. Apparently, he's stayed busy in, as a, as a director. Yes. He also directed the next episode of this series. Okay. Now, sometimes there are directors who, who get the... Um get a reputation as being able to pull off a pilot because it, a pilot is obviously a little bit of a tricky thing. You've got to, you've got to build everything from the ground up in the first episode, you know, production wise, it's like, Oh, you got to build the whole set of the enterprise. Yep. We got to do that for the pilot, you know, that kind of thing. So there, there are guys who get a reputation for being deft at doing that. So it could be, it could be simply that he's like, I'll, I'll could get be. your pilot done, get you done there. And this, in a way, this kind of felt like a two-part. I mean, obviously, this was two hours long, but this felt to me like there's the next episode is going to be more of this because he just got their new commander. Um, I, I don't know what's, I don't know, but it, it just didn't quite feel like it was done. So we'll see, and that would explain why he did it. Maybe it was all. I agree. Three yeah, because there's this continuation and of course the this pilot when it repeated and reruns would have been part one and part two right but for our purposes and for numbering of episodes and whatnot this is episode one yes the next one is episode two not three two so exactly um i have absolutely no clue what the next episode's name is if it indeed even has a name it does have a name Episode I did, two. Write, I did write down the name. It's the only thing I know about it, uh, other than the director and some of the cast. The title is The Farthest Man from Home. Oh, yes, I knew that. Okay. Yes, I did. I did actually see that title. Okay. All right. And same director. Right. Yes. Well, I guess we can leave this one here. It's a, a long talk about a long episode. Exactly. Again, I you know by the time he got to the end of it, I was enjoying it. So I'm hoping that uh, despite my misgivings about watching a show that glorifies the military unjustly, <laughs> but, yeah. um, as too many things in the 1990s did, hoping uh, I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy it because I understand this show has a certain amount of oh it ended before its time, but then you know every show has that. Absolutely, every show somewhere somebody thinks should have gone on. Man from Atlantis ended too soon. No, no, it didn't. It, it did went not. Too long. It, was, it did not. But I probably thought that it was taken off too soon when I was a kid. So, okay, well, I I also found this episode more enjoyable as it went on. Yeah, shooting, shooting stuff was well, sadly actually. The action scenes in space. I mean, for us, I mean, when they got off the Earth. Oh, I should. We should at least pay the uh, the obnoxious uh, comment about saying that that music was from Pink Floyd, 
And yeah. let's see. Well, if you, yeah, reference... it's actually the Ramones Blitzkrieg Bop. Oh, well, well, someone didn't get that one. Okay. No. Uh, yeah. Which is a and joke, that... was a joke, but. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one last point here on some of the music of the series. Um, aside from real world music incorporated into the episode, the composer is Shirley Walker, the series composer. Well, we'll see. I didn't stand um, out to me. My, my, I was listening to it, and it sounded inspiring when it needed to sound inspiring. My favorite track by Shirley Walker, though, is her theme to Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Okay. Which, I which you probably can, heard which it, you, but I can't place it. Yeah. Which, which, which you can pull up on YouTube. If you so choose, yeah, uh, and it's a beautiful orchestral um, vocal piece um, she did for the opening credits to that animated movie. But please tell me that it has somebody going Batman. No, uh, um, my disappointment. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you, you for got... joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I hope you join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Movie Night, it's George Powell's 1950 space technicolor extravaganza, Destination Moon. It's the film about a plucky band of industrialists who shoot for the moon so they can save the U.S. space program by extracting massive government contracts. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.